Welcome to the Joe Watt Podcast. I'm Joe Vendramini from the University of Florida Range Cattle Research and Education Center. And today our guest is Mr. Ben Butler from Okeechobee, Florida. Ben, thanks for being with us today. Hey, good morning, Joe. Thanks for having me, bud. And Ben, could you please give us a little background about yourself? Well, Joe, I'm a, as you mentioned, I'm a, I'm a dairy farmer. Um, I call Okeechobee home, live in Highlands County. It's where the farm is technically, right on the banks of the Kissimmee River. Um, been, uh, been here at the farm, farming with, uh, with my parents, my, my mother and father, and my brother, Will. Um, I've been here now for 15 years. Wow. And, um, but I uh, went to um, went to University of Florida, uh, got my undergraduate in uh, animal science, and started working on my master's. Actually, I was there working on my master's while Joe was working on his PhD, and um, and uh, kind of got to know got to know Joe well there. And um, but anyways, when the '04 hurricanes came across, uh, really wiped out a lot of the structures on our farm, a lot of the feed barns, and. Uh, that time I realized it was time. It was time to come home and go to work. I'd been at uh, I'd been in Gainesville for seven years, and um, it, it was time to get back to reality. But uh, so so started back uh, started back at the farm in 2005, and uh, kind of worked into managing the day to day operations. Um, today I'm in charge of the milk house, the lactating herd, and uh, my brother Will he handles the uh, handles the forage replacement heifers. And uh, and the beef cattle side of our operation, we also run some mama cows uh, here at the farm. But uh, that's uh, a little bit of the basics of it, um, you know. And just try to stay active, uh, active in the community uh, with Farm Bureau and and uh, the local livestock show, and uh, certainly try to stay active with IFAS. And you know, I know Joe is. We worked on some some grass test plots out here at the farm couple times and and um my brother's brother's wife lauren he's uh she's uh she's had a few a uh, few ice field days out here looking at looking at some grasses and some other aspects of the farm but um and uh, last year um i got uh got a call from the governor and um asking um asking i would serve on the south florida water management district governing board and um I was reluctant at first. Um, it was before the governor called me when somebody else had mentioned the idea to me, and um, it's because of some of the controversies that, that have been surrounding uh, in the last year. But um, uh, but the more I thought about it, the more the more I realized we needed somebody to serve. I was being asked to serve, and when the governor called, you don't tell the governor no. And uh, so it was uh, it was awful exciting, and and it's been a great opportunity for me. And um, and, and I've enjoyed enjoyed helping out with the water management district, but uh, but that's a volunteer job, and um, I have um, you know there's no pay that comes along with it, but uh, but fortunately I've got a good family that that supports me and and uh, has allowed me to put the time into into helping out the water management South Florida water management district. Yeah, and Ben, thank you so much for representing agriculture at the at the water management district. So it's really something that I know when you are sacrificing your time, you know, to do that kind of thing, but the whole community of agriculture in Florida really appreciate me in South Florida, around Okeechobee, and uh, we really need that representation. And uh, Ben, on that position that you have at the, at the board, can you tell us what, is, what are the dynamics 
what is your participation schedule and, and what are activities you are involved in? Absolutely, absolutely. It, um, well, the water management district, the South Florida water management district, um, is uh, made up of 16 counties and it stretches basically from, from Orlando all the way to the Florida Keys. Um, so actually the, it starts at the headwaters of the Northern Everglades, which is right there at I-4, Shingle Creek, Disney World. And, um, and makes its way down through the Kazemi River, down Okeechobee, all the tributaries that flow in. And um, the, um, the water management district was actually founded, I believe it was in 1972 or 76. Um, the predecessor was the Central and Southern Flood uh, Control District. And that dates back to the early times in the late 1800s when, um, when Florida was just being opened up and developed. And, uh, and the state at that time was, was looking, to, uh, looking to turn swampland into farmland, into usable land and, uh, for farming and development. And um, had a lot of different people that came in and, and, and ditched and diked, put levees in and, and, and made the work the land to make it, to make it where it was usable today. And, um, and that rocked and, rolled, rocked and rolled pretty good up until... Uh, uh, up until about the uh, 1970s, I think that uh, late 60s, early 70s, there was a realization that um, kind of an environmental movement that got started, and understanding that um, that what we've got in Florida is unique. Uh, the Everglades system is uh, is you you don't find a system like this anywhere else in the world, and the realization was that we needed to preserve what we have. And that some of the features, some of the flood control features that we had put in, um, weren't necessarily compatible with preserving the natural environment. So um, since the 1970s, there, there certainly, and, and, the, and the advent of the South Florida Water Management District um, has been part of the mission, has been to uh, help, uh, help preserve water resources and, uh, and the natural environment. Um, when you talk to water management district, uh, South Florida water management district, kind of a three prong, three, three areas of responsibility. Uh, first is flood control. Um, we're, you know, in this 16 county district, we've got 8.6 million people um, that, um, that are living just a couple feet above sea level. And the, uh, when you look at uh, from the Palm Beach all up and down the east, east coast, from Palm Beach all the way down to Miami, um, there's an intricate canal systems and levees that, that, that prevent flooding. And, um, and then when you look at the 8.6 million people in this area, water supply. We all need water to live. And um, that's the second, second major mission of the water district is ensuring that we have a safe, um, clean water supply available to our 8.6 million residents. That is growing. And, uh, and that is a constant challenge, um, especially when you look in the Orlando area. Uh, we're probably actually bumping the limits on the amount of water that we have to supply the people in the greater Orlando area. Uh, but then the third mission is, 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 is the environmental, is the water quality preservation of the Everglades. And um, when you think about it, all three of those missions, they kind of, they're, they're not symbiotic. They, 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 they pull in different directions. So it's, it's a little, um, it's a challenge. And that is, that's one of the things that drew me to, to, to serving on the water, on the governing board is, um, is the challenge that it provides. 
working with people to, uh, to provide the water supply, the flood control, and the preservation of the, of the natural environment. But the, um, the organization of the, of the South Florida Water Management District is made up of nine governing board members. Um, I'm serving as a, as a governing board member um, from, the, uh, from the region that basically, it's, it's called the Heartland region, um, but it's basically the um, six counties on the northern end of the systems, so from Glades County all the way up to Orange County, including Polk, Osceola, Hines County, and Chobe County. The, uh, the other governing board members are from the other areas throughout the, uh, throughout the district. Um, I was, uh, I last one that the governor pegged to put on, on his new governing board. Um, I would say the other eight members are, are, are from the coast. Um, they, um, and they have a different background, um, different, um, different understanding of, and, and, and I'll tell you, even though, even though probably the other eight governing board members probably live within 15 miles of the ocean, um, they bring each, each one of them brings a unique, uh, background and understanding to the table. And I have really enjoyed working with the other eight individuals. Um, I've seen through our work that, that they're, we're all there for the same purpose to, uh, to help, um, uh, help manage the water resources for everybody in South Florida and do it in a responsible manner. And we all bring something good to the table. So our discussions have, 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 we, we work good together. So, um, but, uh, but we're just a governing board member. We kind of outline the policies and, um, and, and, and direction that the water management district goes. Uh, we have an executive director that, uh, that manages the day-to-day um, -day operations and also the 1,400 people that are employed by the water management district. So it's a, it's a very large organization. Um, it's probably, I think it's about 2,200 miles of, uh, of canals and, and 2,100 levees, 778 water control structures, 84 pump stations, and, um, and lots of, um, uh, of monitoring stations, hydrological monitoring stations, I think over 3,000. And, um, there's a lot of aspects that uh, that go into the water management district, and it uh, I've learned a lot. I certainly did not come into this position knowing everything that that, that I know today, and I still have a lot to learn about uh, about the, about the water water management district. And, and Ben, uh, specifically about some of the points that we are working, you are working with the board and the water management district is touching. I would like just to mention a few things that may be of great interest for the audience and the producers that listen to the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, the first one is the aquatic weeds, right? Mm -hmm. the presence of aquatic yeah. weeds in the, can in the canals and, and how that is impacting water flow. So could you give us a, a little information about how is that progressing in the activities that we are doing in that area? When you start talking aquatic weeds, um, certainly some of the uh, some of the aquatic plants that we have are natural. Um, I would say most of them we're dealing with are invasive and not natural to the system, and um, and even some of the natural plants become invasive. Um, our again, our our one of our major core missions is providing flood control, and as these um, uh, my 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 uncle and my father 
tell stories um, when they first moved the farm up here to Okeechobee from from Hollywood, um, from Hollywood, Broward County. Uh, tell stories of uh, of the aquatic plants just plugging up the river and um, and on the, the bridge that crosses uh, the Kissimmee River at Highway 70. Uh, my uncle tells the story. He remembers the the backlog of water hyacinth and um, water 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 lily water hyacinth backing up. And um, he remembers that uh, part of the way to break up those tussocks to keep it from blowing out the bridge because it just the, the pressure on the bridge became just great. They'd use dynamite to blow the tussocks up, to break it up, and to let it flow on down the river. And um, so, so the aquatic weeds cause a lot of problems when it comes to navigation. But also today we, we, we see um when we're talking about nutrients in the water we're talking about phosphorus talking about nitrogen and um we um uh, we, we have seen you know we don't have a good understanding of what the baseline was what what nutrients were in the water before kind of the environmental realization unfortunately we don't have a good baseline on where we were but we know today that the nutrient levels in the water do um, promote some of these invasive plants to really take off and grow and bloom. And you get these plants that grow and bloom and, and die, and then you've got the uh, decaying matter that, that winds up settling in the basins. And um, so you, it winds up mobilizing nutrients and then settling it out. And um, you never really, never really get a good, good, it, it doesn't really allow you to, to really control the nutrients. But, um, but you, when you get these aquatic plants, it also, the, the, these things look for oxygen. And um, I know that, um, uh, or not look for oxygen, they make oxygen, but they shade out, um, shade out some of the water stirring and they can cause the oxygen levels within the water bodies to, uh, to greatly decrease and that can, that can provide fish kills. And it also, uh, when you don't have the fish, you lose the bird population that feeds on the fish. Um, just kind of a whole, it, 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 it's, it's a big cycle there. And so controlling these invasive aquatics uh, has been a big part. Now the water management district doesn't do, um, on, on, on most of our public waterways, that's not our goal or not, or not our mission to, uh, to, to, uh, to work with the aquatic plants. Uh, but we recognize that it's, we're trying to manage those water resources. Most of the aquatic plant, invasive aquatic plant management is left up to FWC, the Florida, um, uh, uh, Florida Wildlife Conservation Award. And, um, but the district does have some, some areas where, where we do uh, directly, it's our responsibility to take care of the invasive plants. So, um, and I know Joe, we, we've, been, we've kind of been in talks working on looking at some alternative uses for some of these plants. Uh, Certainly the, the using herbicide to control these plants um, has been controversial as of, la as of late. Um, I can tell you that, you know, just from my personal perspective, I understand that these, these herbicides are important tools that we use on our farms daily. You know, glyphosate is a, is a very important tool when it comes to food production and, uh, and making food, making feed for our animals. Um, so it's a tool that, um, and, and science has proven it's a safe, it's a safe product to use. However, in today's day of age, you can kind of, with, with social media and that kind of thing, you can turn that stuff around. So, 
glyphosate's kind of gotten a little bit of a bad rap and uh and in addition to some of our other herbicides that we use to uh to control these invasive aquatics so looking at alternatives um to uh to controlling these invasive aquatics um is something that i know the district internally we've been working on and uh, and working at uh, looking at uh, you know working with IFAS. Uh, on a hopefully we can get a project going here pretty quick. Uh, I had something going before coronavirus hit, but uh, hopefully we can get that thing reinitiated once we get everything opened up and get research back to going. But uh, looking at the possibility of you know, certainly it's been studied, but but hopefully there, there there's some alternatives we can do with these invasive aquatics, whether it be feeding the animals, um, using it as a as a soil amendment, um, harvesting them, but uh, but all these all these different practices are going to cost a lot more um, than using using herbicides to, to control them. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean it's uh, it is an issue that uh, is one of the one of the many issues that the district does look at and, and does work on. And, and and Ben, you touch another important point that is uh, is really connected. That is actually the nutrient movement, right? That we. And that may lead to increased aquatic weeds and may lead to other things. And we have seen, we work in this area a little bit, and we have seen that a lot of the, the, the nutrient models, you know, they, very few of them come from field trials. So the nutrient uh, dynamics come pretty much from models that somebody created a model, and so then they plug the numbers in the models. And, and do you think that we are probably now with... Uh, BMPs and other things that we are implementing to try to protect the waterways, do you think we are probably going towards to, to have a better validation and, you know, trying to learn a little more about where these nutrients come from, urban, that is a great source, you know, some different agriculture activities, and do you think that is probably a, a direction that we should go on the nutrients and BMPs? Uh, you, you bring up a good point there, Joe. And, um, uh, you know, certainly when we start talking environmental water quality aspects, um, water entering the Everglades National Park area uh, through court orders is mandated to have no more than 10 parts per, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, is it 10 parts per million, 10 parts per billion? I, I get the billions and millions mixed up, but... Um, but anyways, the, the very low amount of phosphorus um, by court order is supposed to be entering the Everglades National Park area. Uh, today, we're coming pretty close to meeting that goal. Uh, I think uh, we're on average, we're averaging somewhere between 11 and 13 parts per billion. Um, yeah, I've heard anecdotes that, uh, you know, you get some rainwater or, uh, or bottled water that comes in. If you were to test it, it, it it's spring water. You're sitting there at about 30 parts per billion um, uh, phosphorus. But um, so controlling the nutrients that um, that enter the waterways, enter the systems, has um, ha has been a big big focus when it comes to preserving the environment because the additional nutrients, per, you know, they, they promote promote plant growth, and that that you know again that that leads into that system of of, 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 of lower dissolved oxygen levels, killing fish. Um, you know, hurting the birding population. Um, and then, you know, we've also seen the, the, uh, the stories on algae blooms and, um, and was on, on discharges that are released to the east and to the west coast. 
the um, so farms certainly have become a be, be, become a become a focus when it comes to looking at nutrients. Uh, Joe, you know, I mean, you 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 right there. Your job is is learning how to grow the best plants, and in order to grow the best plants that feed our animals, uh, it takes food. We've got to feed those plants. We've got to have nutrients to feed those plants. Um, our soils in this area they vary greatly. But for the most part, they're rather, you know, some, some are sandy areas, some are, some are rather rich in nutrients, um, and uh, some require some supplementation in order to, uh, uh, some, some, you know, uh, whether we've got to add some additional nitrogen to use up phosphorus that's naturally occurring in the soil or such as that. But uh, the BMP process that, uh, that was set out, uh, that, that the Department of Agriculture uh, kind of took under its wing there in the early 2000s, I believe it was, uh, it's been an, been an important part of to helping our farms uh, become more responsible in how we control our nutrients and how we use our nutrients. Um, you know, back in the seventies, our, our, our fathers and grandfathers, they didn't know any better. They knew, they knew you put fertilizer out, you got more grass, more fertilizer you put out. It, and there was a diminishing point of returns where you did not put, you know, didn't put out. The science that IFAS has done over the many years, we realize that we can be more efficient with our fertilizer use, and uh, and that's some of the, the uh, you know that's certainly some of the points that uh, that the FDAX and BMP process has uh, has helped farms become more responsible in our usage of nutrients. The uh, help me out here, Joe. I, I lost my train of thought. There, we're talking BMPs. Yeah. And, um, and nutrients exactly, and yeah that's exactly what we were talking about about the BMPs and how we we're gonna monitor through our uh, daily activities on fruits mm -hmm. or citrus or or you know um, strawberries you know how we're gonna put mm -hmm. BMP and have few trials you know to really yeah, we, we are doing the work and to improve it. And, and, and in fact, IFAS, along with other collaborators, have put together BMP manuals for all the different crops like you talked about. Uh, you, you know, you've got, the, you got the fruit and vegetable crops, you've got dairy BMP manuals, ranching BMP manuals, cow-calf manual. Um, you've, got, you've got equestrian manual that, uh, that's coming out. And then I know that FDAX is working on a small farm uh, BMP manual. But when you look at controlling nutrients and, and what the BMPs do, and we've got to remember these BMPs are, are, are implemented on working farms and ranches. And one of the important things to remember is that these BMPs have to be sustainable initiatives. And when we say sustainable, there, you know, I mean, there, there are several points to sustainable. Certainly one is, 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 is controlling the, controlling the nutrients, having the, um, uh, being good stewards of the land and having that land to be able to pass down to uh, for generations to come and be productive for generations to come. But the other part is to be solely and economic sustainable. And again, these are working ranches and these projects that we do, they cannot, we, we, we've got to allow our farms and ranches to, uh, to continue to make a living. They've got to be able to provide income to their families and, um, and there's got to be a return on their investment. Um, so it's, a, um, it, it, it's been a, um, it's an important balancing act. And, um, 
And I would say, when I say balancing act, I look at most of the, uh, most of the practices that within the BNP manuals uh, for different agriculture entities um, are, are common sense and, and low cost type things, whether it just be, you know, using less fertilizer or more targeted fertilizer in certain areas or, or um, uh, adding a water trough to a pasture that um, uh, where you kind of keep the cows from, from watering out of a, out of a tributary. So, uh, so you can keep the, uh, keep the manure, keep a nutrient load further up in the pasture. So it, it, it's placed more where it needs to be. Um, but these BMPs are really only designed to take care of about 20% of the, um, of the nutrient load that, that we see in our, in our waterways that we feel like we need to be controlling. Um, Probably the other 80% um, in order to control some of these nutrients, we've got to do with regional projects. And, uh, and that's where the water management district comes in, uh, controlling, controlling the, the, the quality, quantity, timing, and distribution of water. And part of those projects, uh, part of their mission is to, uh, is to help remove the nutrients and, uh, and get them into somewhere else where they can be reused uh, but prevent them from going further down the water system into the Everglades or out, uh, out to the east or west coast. Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Ben. That was, a, I think, a very good perspective of the current situation. And I, I think things that we are going towards the future and trying to focus on that. But as you said, 20% comes from those BMPs and we, do, we really need those regional projects, you know, to... To account for mm -hmm. that, that and 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 when you talk BMPs, I mean there, there there's so many more aspects to the BMPs than just than just water quality or nutrient control. I mean it's it's water supply, it's uh, being being cons conserving the amount of water we're using, using low flow sprinklers or or um, or, or timing of our irrigation. Um, so and, and th those are other aspects that that go right along with the mission of the South Florida Water Management District. And then uh, we are going towards the end of our conversation today. And I would like to ask you, what, what is your hobby when you have some free time? If you're a, as a dairy farmer, I, I, I tend to believe that you don't have a lot of free time. And uh, I know you have a family, you have a daughter that probably take most of your time. But if, if you have the option to do something, what would you like to do when you're free time? Well, uh, you, you, you're exactly right. Dairy farmers, typically dairy farmers don't have much free time, don't have hobbies. And, uh, and I tell you, I, I kind of inherited that from my father, but, um, you know, certainly I spend most of my, my wife and I spend most of our free time helping our daughter. Like you mentioned, um, she's, she's kind of gotten into 4-H and raising dairy cattle. And, and so we find our time going to different fairs and shows and exhibitions, but, when, when, when that's over, kind of my favorite hobby is to go down to the Florida Keys and uh, hunt for lobster. Uh, I got certified scuba diving when I was 12 years old, and um, and it, uh, I'm a big boy, for those of you that know me. And um, but when you get underwater and get weightless, that's um, scuba diving. I've always called that that's a fat man sport. So um, so that, that that that's my kind of hobby. So that uh, I, I would say that's probably my favorite thing to do. Uh, outside of farming and, and spending time with the family. Great. And, and Ben, uh, I really would like to thank you for participating in the podcast today. I am Joe Vendramini. Joe what? <laughs>